0: The dead will walk here.
2: I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary,
0: even in hell. Give me back it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Why? You're doomed. You're all doomed. show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. Meet Wesley. He's such a good boy. He's a model student. (gasps) Can't you talk? But when it comes to girls... Have you even talked to her? He's got a lot to learn. Studies have shown that guys get much further with girls after they talk. It's time he got his education.
1: I'm Miss Zenobia, the new biology teacher.
0: Holy mother of God! She has come to teach. Sexual reproduction. Any volunteers? Me, 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 me. You see, I'm researching new forms
2: of vitamins. And
0: Wesley is the perfect subject.
2: Now drop your pants. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Ah! What happened, man? Your mom put some virand into your milk or something?
0: He's an experiment ah! out of control.
1: She gave me some kind of shot. Ah! I seem to be having some after effects. What kind of effects?
0: He's growing out of his head. Gross. Is it working? Oh, yes, yeah, it's working. Now, the school brain... has been chosen for a greater purpose. ...has become the most popular student body.
1: Teach me the meaning of the word pleasure. If it's meaning...
0: Ah! Doctors from another world. Let me get this straight.
1: You guys are aliens from another planet. Have made
0: him the most wanted man on Earth.
1: I'm being chased by aliens. Ah! Radical. Far out. What the hell is this? You're a man, I'm a woman. I'm with you so far. Good work, son. That Earth boy stole the last bottle of the formula. Ah! Come on.
0: Judy Landers, Roy Donahue, Edie Williams, and Billy Jacoby. Doctor Alien.
1: Alrighty folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration and this is Howling at the Full Moon where we celebrate everything and anything Charlie Band related that includes Full Moon Pictures, Empire International Pictures and otherwise. We have quite a little fun little ditty for you this evening. We are going to be covering 1989's Doctor Alien which neither falls under the uh, Full Moon Pictures Label or the Empire International Pictures Label, even on the IMDB, it only shows a credited, uh, an uncredited production or producer credit by Charlie Band, but this was released on Paramount Home Video through Phantom Video, but it was directed by David Dakota and uh, starring uh, quite a bevy of, uh, I was going to say, you know, uh, B-movie veterans. But joining me this evening, as usual, is my usual co-host and cohort in crime, Dustin Hubbard. How you doing? I'm I'm good. I guess I would be the, the veteran full moon reviewer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do occasionally have somebody else come on for a, a guest uh, a, a appearance and whatnot, but you, you're my regular. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this movie, uh, I hadn't seen it... Since the heyday of the 80s, I thought for sure it was an Empire International Pictures uh, joint. But as I look deeper, it's uh, phantom video. It does have the Paramount home video label on it. But it's still, you know, co-produced by Charlie Band. It's directed by David Dakota. So in that narrow margin of, uh, you know, of of movies. But uh, this is another... Another one that came out that had an alternate title that was – the alternate title was I Was a Teenage Sex Mutant. And I know it had several others, but uh, it also was at one point edited into a film called Teenage Alien Avengers, which I was not aware of, but I've never been able to to see that or find that.
2: That is Teenage Alien Avengers, I believe is
0: a retitle of – Alien Arsenal. Ah, okay.
2: So, one of one of the alternate titles. I could be
1: wrong, though. But <laughs> would you? I, I think you'd agree. This pretty much has a uh, as a cast of B movie scream queen veterans. We got Julie Landers, got Linnea Quigley, Ginger Lynn Allen, Laura Albert, Michelle Bauer, and a blink and you'll miss her Elizabeth Kaitan.
2: Lots but of yeah, lots of people. I mean, it's even got a, not necessarily scream queen level, but it has uh, uh, Eddie
1: Williams, who was a big Russ Meyer girl back in the day as well. Yeah, it's got uh, J- Julie Grey, and and other than that, it's got some. Uh, it's got uh, Karen Russell. Karen Russell. The brothers Billy Jane and Robert Jane, otherwise known as Wesley and Bradford Little John. <laughs> hella, hella, name, hella names right there, right? Ah. But it's got one of my favorite little B-movie actors. And he hasn't done a whole lot that I've seen, but I recognize his face the minute I see him. Raymond O'Connor that plays Drax. You know, I've always noticed him from bit parts, like in movies like The Rock and uh, and halloween four and we got the guys you know got over a hundred credits to his name so you know yeah he's
2: great he's been in a good handful of like michael bay stuff and i for me he's always the security guard at the opening halloween four that tells the backstory
1: to set up park four yeah he's like gives me the heebie-jeebies gives me the creeps and he was in one of the pre-hysteria movies but i don't recall which one like i knew he was in prehysteria two mm-hmm. maybe three that but, I'm not sure about
2: actually I would have to double check I'm not familiar with him from a prehisteria
1: but within the same year he would be and he would do the security guard role in Halloween four and then also do this you know
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah I guess he was he was stuts in prehisteria three I don't remember that but uh, three has some, a bunch of randos cause even, uh, I believe Bill Mosley even has an uncredited cameo in Prehistoric three.
1: <laughs> kind of like his uncredited cameo in the blob, you know, it was just, yep, exactly. <laughs> it's again, a blink and you miss it. Yep. Well, before we get <sighs> off into the, the movie itself, let me go ahead and give you folks at home the quick IMDB synopsis for this interesting little sex comedy called Dr. Alien. All right. A sexy substitute teacher replaces another teacher who was killed by a UFO encounter, but her research on a nerdy student is now making him a lady magnet. And I feel like that's pretty fair, but, you know, it's uh, it's also pretty vague, you know. But then again, th- this movie is not high on plot. It's more high on, uh, not high in the literal term, but high on hijinks. But I love the the ad for it on the, on the poster that she has the cure for growing pains. I'm not sure if that's true because the, when she starts doing the experiments on poor little old Wesley, he, he gets all sorts of, uh, you know, <laughs> growing pains, so to speak.
2: Yeah, he has more growth than
0: uh, normal, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, 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 it's just like we just recently... Uh, reviewed beach bays from beyond it's a little bit of that it's a little bit of zapped a little bit of you know porkies thrown in for good measure when in the early to mid 80s you know sex comedy romps were you know a big thing in there you know but yeah. but judy landers she was such a treasure we reviewed her in um hell hole here recently uh on another show and uh, this has maybe got all sorts of nostalgic about seeing her because she's so bubbly and just so, just seems so sweet.
0: Yep,
2: she's but, a, she
1: was always a, a
2: fun actress and, a, and an interesting presence on on camera. I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, she was. And speaking of uh, impressive in presence, the Doctor Ackerman on his radio broad listening to his radio broadcast in the beginning opening scenes. It's a little weird, but that that car flip that was impressive. That was an impressive stunt, usually not afforded to movies that uh, Dakota would make. You know, it just seemed like this movie uh, at a couple of times had some elaborate stunts, especially during the car chase that like just yeah. normally is not a Dakota go-to well, and you got to
2: consider that the the time period, you know, these kinds of B movies back in those days you were actually still working with. Uh, what would be considered a low budget but the the low budgets were still much larger than what we call a low budget today this movie i believe was shot for about 250k in like in 1987 88 ish money i believe so i mean that's that's a lot of money so uh they could afford to do stuff like that
0: <laughs> so
1: you know you can afford to have some car stunts and whatnot so yeah uh it, it just makes me long for the days when these movies would actually have a, a, a stunt and, and, and you yeah. know, a budget like this. And, and nowadays they're just shot so cheap. It's just uh, the locations are usually pretty minimal. The cast is usually pretty, pretty minimal and the effects are usually pretty minimal. But this movie still holds up, I think. And the introduction of Billy Jane as a Wesley Little John. you know, to be quite honest that's the weak link of this movie is, is Billy. Uh, and I hate to say it like that. Cause I usually find him very comical, but mm-hmm. the character himself, uh, I mean, st- stop me if I'm wrong here, but he's actually quite dull and quite boring. I do think that he does not
2: have as much of a presence uh, at points that I feel like the movie demands, which is funny. Cause he is actually a very, strong presence as an actor um especially if you watch him in things like uh just one of the guys where he plays kind of a similar version of what he becomes after mrs Zenobia starts doing the experiment on him so but uh yeah i will agree that he doesn't really present (laughs) the kind of presence you might expect from from that
1: role yeah, I mean, he's essentially playing, you know, the the Robert Carradine kind of role, like from Revenge of the Nerds. You know, trying, the nerd trying to be sexy and trying to uh, to get sexed up or however you want to put it. It just doesn't hit all the the right notes. Like w- when it's meant to be funny, it's funny, but when he's trying to be serious, yeah, it's just not his. Uh, it's just not his bag. Mm-hmm. But you know the, the the family when he gets up in the morning are also full of uh, a, a dull and boring people and not not meaning the actors themselves but the family members are very they're like a, a pseudo version of the you know the Cleavers from Leave It to Beaver and it's just I love the little inside joke with the creepazoid serial. and as soon as I saw that I paused this movie and I made a note I'm like oh creepazoids I saw what you did there David.
2: <laughs> yeah, the most
0: interesting
1: family member is easily the the little brother B- Bradford, played by
2: friggin', um Robert Jane slash Bobby Jacoby.
0: <laughs> so
2: <laughs> far more inter- interesting character than the the mom or dad or the lead, truthfully. But
0: yeah, I might
1: be actually watching uh, Creepazoids on TV later. So. Um. Yeah, I, I had a note of that, too. I was just going to say, they do have a... Uh, they, it is kind of Creepazoids-heavy, the references, but Creepazoids, yep. it only came out, what, a year, year and a half before this one?
2: And give or take, yeah, it was very tight. It was like the movie just before this, I want to say, the Dakota had shot,
1: so... Two totally different movies about aliens. Definitely. Very, very polar opposite tones. But I do love the... Uh, the scene that follows when they got got to school. Now, at first, I I will admit having rewatched this for the first time in many years, that I was confused at first whether or not it was supposed to be high school or college, because it sure mm. looked like a high school. But I was like, okay, they're talking about you know the classes they're taking. I'm pretty sure it's college, so I had a question there for a little bit. But uh, I love the hijinks when the the when Wesley is getting into trouble when he accidentally runs into the. uh, I forgot the character's name, Dirk, and his girlfriend, Carla, and he runs into them, so he plays the I'm-going-to-be-pretend-I'm-blind trick to avoid bullying, and it works for about a whole collective five seconds before they get busted. Yeah. But Miss Zenobia, uh, Judy Landers, when she comes in replacing Dr. Ackerman... And I do love the name, Dr. Ackerman, Dr. Forrest Ackerman. <laughs> Just like, who that's nodding, too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Never, you, you could ask me twice, but I'd really only need to be asked once, you know. <laughs> Uncle Cory. Um, but I'd rather watch a movie that, that centered around Mrs. Zenobia as opposed to uh, Mr. Ackerman. I mean, you know, which yeah. one is easier on the eyes here?
2: And that's the
1: specific special
2: appearance Judy Landers as Ms. Zenobia.
1: Yeah, I wondered why that was special appearance. It wasn't like it was a cameo and it sure wasn't her first film. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it was a I'm sure it was a casting coup for them
2: at the time.
0: Because
2: so, uh you know, if you were a Landers sister in the eighties, you were pretty, pretty big, so uh, the both Lander sisters, Judy and Audrey had had a lot of success on television throughout the 80s. so they were both and in in print. So they were they were both pretty big names. So I'm sure she was a, a big casting coup at the time. I'm not I'm never I never understand giving a special appearance billing to someone who is a major lead in a film though. Uh, that I, there's some kind of weird, uh logic or mentality going on there <laughs>
1: i'm not i'm not aware of so yeah meet me either It's this like special appearance like I, I could see if it was like their first film appearance or their first tv appearance or something but it just yeah didn't make sense to me either yeah very weird. i do love the part when she comes into the class and everybody is transfixed because i mean you know it's Judy Landers but when she zeroes in on Wesley and she's like hey Wesley tell us about your penis <laughs> and, and he's just like uh, mm, I don't know what I'm going to say here but uh, I love the character Raymond O'Connor uh, uh, plays as Drax no relation to the character Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy no this character is far more interesting yep. and far <laughs> more funny yep.
2: don't get these two separate aliens named Drax mixed up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, to, like I, 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 I don't know whether that to think of, of himself of the Wesley character as either poor Wesley or lucky Wesley, because he is the essentially the experiment, you know, when he gets called to stay after, uh, you know, class with the experiment that Drax and Zenobia are, are doing on him. I, I, I made a note here on like all it took was a trick and some reanimator green juice shot straight into his ass to get him instantaneously have a an alien penis slash tentacle that would come out of his head. Yeah, he got his own. He got his own Elmer. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say it was like Elmer from from uh, brain damage. Yeah, he just doesn't talk. (laughs) So. Yeah, like all it took was a shot of Herbert West reanimator juice in the behind to get him, and then there you go. That was it. But, yeah, don't know whether to say whether that was poor poor Wesley or lucky Wesley since uh it seems like, you know, during this movie there are several nude scenes and striptease scenes and sex scenes, but every scene with Wesley and Miss Zenobia is very tame or shot in a silhouette or a shadow where nothing is ever shown. So you you know which... uh. Which actors in, th- in this movie had a no nudity clause?
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure that uh they couldn't afford Judy's
0: nudity at that time
1: period, so <laughs> nope, nope, probably not. Yeah, not on that not on that kind of budget, I'm sure. But this is where we'd also get the creepazoids cameo on TV. So we got the dual uh Creepazoids uh, cameo between that and the Creepazoids uh, Serial But then I enjoy where the rocker Chicks uh, that are in the movie Are played by Linnea Quigley Ginger Lynn Allen and Laura Albert who was a pretty Prolific uh, stunt woman I did When I did a little studying up on this I did not realize that Laura Albert had done As many stunts as she had done Like well over 150 films Yeah But uh, the, there is that scene That comes up in the middle and this is one I want to talk about the uh, the, the drag racing scene
0: uh-huh.
1: between Wesley and uh, – I keep forgetting his name. It's Dirk, right? Dirk, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I just call him Dick because he's, mm-hmm. he's just a total dick in this movie. But I love that there's some impersi- pretty impressive stunt driving, but I have to say – no station wagon of that ilk would have be, beaten a, a Mustang 5.0 at that time. Like, never would have happened. No matter how badly the person was a driver, I just don't, I just can't buy it. If I can suspend my disbelief for, for so much, I can't suspend it for that. Yeah, she's, uh,
2: it's, it's a very,
1: that car is not going to do that. He's driving a an old piece of crap. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no piece of crap six cylinder is going to beat a Mustang with a V eight in it like that. Just, just, not just, just saying. Just saying. I'm, I'm, per, I, I'd bet money on it, and I'm not a betting yeah. man. At one hundred percent, I'm with you. <laughs> now, I got to ask. Maybe you know the answer to this one. But why, when Wesley comes up with his all-new ensemble, his whole new wardrobe, he picks up the snazziest clothes but put, pairs them together with the world's dirtiest pair of sneakers I've ever seen?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, maybe
2: uh, only he knows that for
1: sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know why? Because it was wrote in the script, grab the, th- the third right. pair of sneakers from the left.
2: There was not enough money in the budget to buy fancy
0: shoes,
1: so after they paid Judy's salary, <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. <laughs> but that brings us to roundabouts the area in the movie where we talk about the, the we got to talk about the drive-in sequence where Wesley is trying to to get get sweet on his girlfriend Leanne. But the alien, we get a little bit of alien tentacle action, and she is, like any other girl around him, since he now has this new alien ability, she's coming on to him. But once the the tentacle goes away, not so much. So his, uh, you know, his 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 uh, expertise with the ladies is only prohibited by this damn like. uh, I'm going to call it an Elmer coming out of his (laughs) head, you know, like, as you put it.
2: And it has to be noted, too, that, like, through that whole sequence, Ms. Zenobia and Drax are literally in the car next to them, spying, and they're just wearing, like, sunglasses. She looks like she's wearing a pair of glasses that would later be seen in 2015 with Marty McFly, like, these, like, gaudy-looking, like, pink (laughs) you know (laughs) pink like sunglass things and uh they totally don't they totally don't notice them in the car right next to them
1: no no they don't but i mean these are young young kids yeah i said they're probably a little preoccupied but i was going to say they were a little busy at the time but you figure they would have like caught them at a glance i mean you know if we can see them then they should be able to see them i'm just saying (laughs)
2: She's got big blonde hair and hot pink
1: glasses.
2: <laughs> like, she's hard to miss. So,
1: you'd have to really be preoccupied to not notice that. But, exactly. As I've often said during these kind of reviews and these movies, if people were smart or made smart decisions or were very observant, then the movies themselves would be awfully short. It's true. Speaking of short. Wesley's wet dream that turns into a chainsaw nightmare. <laughs> we got to talk about that a little bit. I, I, I just love the fact that they, they just bring a random chainsaw into the mix.
2: Well, you just, notice just when, when he first pulls up to her and offers her the ride before the drag race sequence, she's like, I don't know about getting in the car with him. And he's like, oh, come on. I haven't chainsawed a girl in at least a week. <laughs>
1: What, are, what are weird it, references to chainsaws kind of, in this?
2: And then he has the dream of her actually trying to like chainsaw him. So okay, I'm willing to let that one slide. We'll let that one slide. <laughs> so maybe that was that was kind of
1: uh, you know a prelude to him ending up having the dream. So it's so, um, a good point. Good point. Uh, I have to say the, this movie is is a by byproduct of the '80s because I notice. Three things. Lots of mullets. Yep. Lot, lots of popped collars. Yep. And lots of cheesy lingerie.
2: And I'll add one more thing a soda vending machine that has a giant Shasta logo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no.
1: Not since right. the 80s have we seen a, a vending machine with a Shasta logo, have we? The last I've heard of Shasta was Shasta McNasty, and nobody wants to remember that show. So. Not even Jake Busey, right? And especially Jake Busey. So. <laughs> oh, J- now, Jake Busey, he would have been uh, an interesting actor to choose to play uh, Wesley, I think. This would have been a totally different movie if it had been him in it.
2: You probably definitely needed an alien green serum shot to the ass to get the girls to go crazy on him. Because he would <laughs> kind of them all right out of the room. So... <laughs> <laughs>
1: What are you saying? Are you saying Jake Busey's a little creepy? Yes, yes, we're saying Jake Busey's a little creepy.
2: 100 percent. That's exactly what I'm saying. (laughs) Very much this movie is a byproduct of the 80s. Jake Busey is very much a product of his father.
1: (laughs) Oh, they got the same smile. (laughs) Oh, but our, our our wet dream Wesley gets another second dose of reanimator juice in his ass. You know they always trick him. They they always trick him. They get him to turn around and they just take that big old hypodermic needle and they stick it so far that you expect it to pop out the other side. <laughs> but then then you get another you know another we're we using air quotes here that you can't see sex scene with him and Judy Landers that who is essentially our Doctor Alien. And it just results in him leaving two minutes later and going and boning Carla, uh, Dirk's uh, girlfriend, the bully's girlfriend, which might, you know, I'm just saying might be a mistake, you know, to take this guy's girlfriend and boner in the the school bathroom. And like just saying, just, just saying it might be a mistake on Wesley's part. Behaviors
2: like this would not go over well in the modern hashtag Me Too era of behavior. <laughs> oh she no. Would not be consenting to that. She's being, you know, tricked by I guess alien medicine alien pharmaceutical
1: A- to uh, alien chemistry, maybe. To show
2: interest in hooking up with him because she would clearly never hook up with him in real life.
1: So, no. <laughs> and yeah, this movie was one of the, I think one of the facilitators of the Me Too movement. But hey, if you
2: anything, Arvin definitely approved because he said he does say that he could uh, give up ever touching a woman again and just
1: basically live vicariously through Wesley. So. Which is, <laughs> so yeah um that's somebody we need to mention Stuart frack and that plays marvin is, is plays uh wesley's kind of say quote-unquote best friend but uh like when he says that that he could just live vicariously through wesley i'm just like really you you, you don't want to get in, involved in any of this at all you're just gonna live through him okay i i guess I, I will say this you know uh with total
2: love but him saying that just kind of gives off sort of a uh gay vibe. <laughs> it's like you could live through basically watching your buddy score with chicks.
0: <laughs> so
2: truthfully, you know what? I think that the casting might have worked better if the rules were flopped, flip-flopped too. Redkin might have actually been um a better Wesley, I think. He has the charisma. Like Stuart Redkin has a lot of charisma. So, I mean, he would later be seen in, you know, the first two Moonbeam movies, um, pre-hysteria one and remote as Richie, one of the the bad guy thugs. So he's and he's he's a fun actor. He's got a lot of a lot of personality. So he might have a lot of he's got a lot of energy. He does. He might have actually been able to pull off a role like that. You know, not to say that I think, you know, the actor we have is terrible, but uh, he might have been.
1: He might have done something a bit more unique with it. Yeah, I think it would have been more interesting to flip flop those actors in the role. I, I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think that would have played off a little bit better. And again, not saying that Billy is is a bad actor. He just seems a bit miscast as Wesley.
2: We wouldn't have brothers playing brothers.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, we wouldn't. But we all know how important that is too to have somebody like the. <laughs> you know, like. Charlie and Emilio, you know, it's just like, w- w- would it really would have been better either way around? And, yeah. you know,
2: I don't think that Billy ended up going on to really maybe have another humongous hit after this. I'm not I'm not looking at IMDb at the moment, but um, Bobby, I mean, right after this, I want to say Bobby ended up having um, tremors.
1: Yeah, he did do tremors. I say It was about two
2: years later, wasn't it? Yeah, he played obnoxious Melvin in Tremors One, and later would reappear in Tremors Three as adult Melvin.
1: So, yeah, he was kind of the the boy. He was that character that, but the, the boy that played not the boy that played wolf, the boy who cried wolf once too many times. Yep, yeah. and then he he would end up being in uh, Night of the Demons Two as well. Oh, that's right. He was uh, the the kind of the nerdy character who who resurrected Angela, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he basically played his brother from this movie. Yeah, he was the nerdy.
2: He was like the cute, nerdy character uh, who, who he has the book. Uh, right, right. I, that's what I, I, I thought. Like, ironically, when the, the jock guys in that movie are like, you know, they like, uh, one of them says something like, ooh, you know, think think I'm going to hurt your stupid little ghouly book.
0: <laughs> so, yeah,
2: it's that's bad. right. right they Night of the Demons, too. So, there you uh, go. There you go. But yeah, if, they, if the rules had been flopped, we wouldn't have uh, had brothers playing brothers. <laughs>
0: oh
1: man, that's that's funny. That's funny. That is true. That is true. Uh, where are we at? Well, next we get... Um, <laughs> next note I have is, why do we have such extravagant sound effects during the fight scene between Wesley and Dirk? The, the the sound effects you would expect from like a Jackie Chan or a Jet Li movie. The sound effects are so crazy. And yeah. Like every every hit you feel like somebody's getting their femur snapped. And it reminds me of watching like a Jim Winorski movie
2: where the girls are like taking a shower and you hear that
1: as they're like, you know, washing their boots or something. It's like Kind of like the, the, the bathtub scene in uh, Nightmare Sisters, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> but speaking of Nightmare Sisters, we would also get uh, a cameo by one of the other Nightmare Sisters, Michelle Bauer, as the co-ed girl, and also Karen Russell for Murder Weapon and a bunch of other movies as co-ed girl, too. And uh, I, just, I just found like it was really weird to have these kind of B-movie screen queens doing such small bit parts. But I guess when most of the money was going to Judy Landers to star in it, you know, they could only afford to put them in cameos. I'm I'm willing to bet.
2: This movie was shot during, I believe, the uh, writer's strike of 1987. (laughs) There seems to be a writer's strike about once every four years, (laughs) doesn't there? (laughs) pretty much but you know in in 87 you know this was still kind of an er, on the early cusp for a lot of these ladies so a lot of them probably actually we look back at it now and we're like god damn this movie is stacked you know you know literally and figuratively with with (laughs) right people you know i mean it's full of like like insanely you know famous low budget horror actresses and scream queens and models Um, but I don't think they were probably looked at as such back then because a lot of them were still kind of on the on the cusp of going somewhere. So, right, right. You know, Linnea, you know, kind of a kind of a, a garbage role for Linnea because she had already done, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Return of the Living Dead. You know, some of the others. Well, and
1: she had just done. Uh, I'm... She just did creepazoids the year previous for this, so it was probably a matter of just working well with Dakota and and then being like, Hey, wanna come out for five days and shoot? Why not? And some I mean, the only other, you know, probably quote unquote prolific
2: actress was Judy, other than, you know, like maybe Eddie Williams having been in, you know, a lot of kind of TNA type, you know, movies back in the sixties and seventies. So, you know. People like mm-hmm. Elizabeth yeah. King hadn't quite blown up yet. But you know what? Now that I think about it, though, too, she had already done uh, Friday 7 at this point. So,
1: well, you know, I mean, I'm kind of wondering just from the, the way they had her cameo shot. I mean, it wasn't even a cameo, it was just pretty much like during the the, the, the but, end, you know, kind of battle of the band sequence. She just runs across the camera or runs yeah, across the kind of- scene. Kind of screams, and doesn't she, like, drop or kind of throw her waitress tray? (laughs) Yeah, and then she just runs. So it might have been a matter of, like, listen, we just need extras. Come in for the day. I'm sure, you know, it was was probably how it went down. Now, I I don't know if I missed something when I watched it this time around, and maybe you can help fill me in, or maybe it's just a, a plot hole. But when, like, but previous to the part where Wesley's band comes home, To his home and comes in for dinner to his straight-laced, you know, Ward and June Cleaver dinner scene, and where the and they're the sex mutants. Really, much previous to that, was there even even an inclination that he had
0: joined a band? Did I miss Uh, something? Marvin
2: says that... I believe Marvin says something to the effect of that when he takes... uh, That when Wesley takes Leanne out again, that it might be in his favor if he could uh, be in a band. And he knows a a band that needed a new lead singer, I believe. So he... He gets connected with them through Marvin. So,
1: okay. So I did. I did. Me. I did miss a little something there.
2: It's a very brief dialogue exchange that does not last for
1: very long. He's like, you know,
2: I know these people. They need a. They need a lead singer. And he's like, wow. Do you think they'd have me? He's like, sure.
0: (laughs) So,
1: and uh, history was made. So. (laughs) And then we got the fucking sex mutants, man. I got to get that on LP. (laughs) Not. Not. Not really killer machine the the, mu- the music actually i have to admit is kind of catchy i don't know if it's something i would put in my like uh, constant rotation but i would listen to it on semi repeat every once in a while yeah it's 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 a fun it's a fun soundtrack i, I do think two things are kind of Ill, Ill ill placed in this movie um one is the the punk girls uh, band name the, the rocker chicks, the poontangs, <laughs> which I think is just all, all all sorts of funny, but all sorts of uh, they come from South bad... America. What's that? Did they come from South America? I don't
2: know. The poontang. Oh, yeah.
1: The poontang tribe. The poon-tang yeah, baby. tribe. Hey, you got me there. You got me there. You, you sly W. <laughs> Another ill place thing, though. It's that huge Confederate flag that is flying yeah, in the club. That, that is a hard thing to not see. <laughs> so, like, like, really? That was was the Confederate flag that prominent in the 80s in Venice Beach, California? Or, uh, I'm just in a, in a club called the Hairy Armpit, probably.
0: <laughs> Which yeah.
2: I said to you during the pre-show discussion that, you know, the ending of this movie reminds me a lot of the ending of Hobgoblins, where they both end at, like, this kind of, like, rungy rock bar kind of, like, rough-and-tumble kind of situation. (laughs) And, you know, with, like, musical performances and shit. And they both, you know, just instead of it being club scum with (laughs) Dean Norris and Dwayne Whitaker, we get, you know, um, the hairy armpit.
1: So, with which just sounds like a club that i would just absolutely love to uh yeah go to not really i uh, have fun guys i'm staying home i would not <laughs> want to go to the arm
0: <laughs>
1: like, I'll, I'll jam out at home i'll rent a couple of videos and just stay here yeah club scum i would go to but uh, i don't know if i'd want to go to the hairy arm pit, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah me either me neither uh But I was going to say when the Billy gets on stage or should say when Wesley gets on stage with his uh, band, the Sex Mutants, he is trying to sell that performance like no other. This is the part where I think he was he actually gets his acting chops. uh, He gets a well some well-deserved accolades because he is selling that lip syncing like it's like it's his uh, like he's fighting for his last dinner. But just he, he gives it his all. Yeah. But it's it's just, it's a, like, again, it's a catchy tune. I think this is a weird time for Zenobia to reveal, like, that she's an alien. You know, I mean, like, you know, we know it. The audience knows it. Drax knows it. But, you know, nobody else really knows it. But it's a weird time for her to just, like, reveal that she's an alien from what's the name of the the planet the Altarian?
2: Uh, I was going to say I'm going to make a comment on this cuz she says that they're she says that they're Altarians, correct?
1: Yeah, that's what she says, yeah.
2: From Altaria. Right. So the Altarians, you know who the Altarians are? This kind of blew my mind when I rewatched it. No. The I, don't, I don't know. The Altarians are femalians. Oh, you know the, femalian, never... the femalians are Altarians. Oh, so they all are kind of interconnected, huh? And in Al in, in, in Femalian, at least one and two, you know, the agents who come to Earth are collecting data as far as mating rituals and whatnot. So it is kind of similar in that when she reveals her her ultimate aim for the quote-unquote vitamin you know experiment
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah we use an air quotes here folks vitamins that she's trying to extract yeah ass vitamins that she's trying
2: to (laughs) she's trying to basically find a suitable she came to a planet that had species with a similar nervous system and whatnot so that she could find a male human of the species that she could take back to her planet to use as a breeder, I guess, because their planet is dying out. So, uh, so I it's kind
1: of it's kind of like a little bit of uh, Hell Comes to Frog Town sprinkled in there.
2: Kind of. So, and in similar fashion, I mean, I mean, whereas in this one they're basically looking for a literal breeder, in the femalean films, uh, they're studying mating habits so
1: but okay. i, I was th- gonna say that's all they're almost kind of like interlocked interspecies I think, in mm-hmm. a little bit female in four it's said that
2: a lot of the the species has actually ascended to being uh beings of pure energy and don't a lot of them don't have physical forms anymore so but um uh, At least in that universe, uh, the Altarians are very supreme beings of of power and knowledge, and historical uh, relevance because they've been around. The Altarians in that franchise have been around since uh, the dawn of man, so and have been overseeing
1: goings on within the entire galaxy. So. maybe maybe they're all you know like i said interspecies related and they're just uh they're on different um how do you want to say just different missions
2: yeah it's very uniquely humorous when you think about it in a bigger scope of things because that means dr alien would take place within the femalian universe whereas you know in one of the femalian sequels they visit the virtual encounters business which is the location of the virtual encounters franchise
0: <laughs>
2: and see
1: it's all related it's all yeah, related
2: and, and the virgin hunters sequels would actually work in altarians so technically that would make dr alien the entire femaleian franchise virtual encounters and virgin hunters they all take place within the same franchise the same sexy sexy
1: universe yes. <laughs> i guess they would uh like I, I was gonna say one of the alternate titles for this was sexperiment they're all just part of the same sexperiments yeah i, I there you go you know. i i do think it's funny when she reveals that she's an alien and she <laughs> reveals their plans and then will- she peels off her face that's a big goddamn blue fucking head
2: when she, I'll say this the effects work was from Greg Canham's studio Academy Award winner, Greg Canham, and in an earlier project of his. And I think that the effects when she's doing the face stretching looks yes. so, it's so cool. And it kind of reminds me of something we would see slightly thereafter with the elite villain in one of my favorite slashers, Popcorn. Popcorn? Get How that did I, I knew you were going to say Popcorn. Yeah. I knew it. The weird face, stretchy skin effects—they look so nuts, and it looks so good in this movie too. Um, I don't think that she looks terrible as an alien.
1: I have a filmmaker friend who despises the way she looks. As really, I thought she looked pretty amazing. I thought the the prosthetic or the the effects work was really pretty good.
2: I th- I think it's definitely you. I don't. I won't say I hate it. I think it's very unique. So you've never seen anything before or after it
1: like that. So
2: I think it's something that definitely uh, sticks in your mind.
1: So I think it's, I think they kind of ruined th- things, though, with the cover to this because they, they have a cover of Judy Landers in human form and then the, the, or superimposed behind her is the her alien form. So it's just kind of you know what I mean? It kind of gives it away right on the cover of the, of the, of the VHS. Yeah, that's true. Uh is this like another one of my favorite sci-fi movies, split second. You know, they got that big poster with with Rucker Hauer with the big shotgun and the alien is behind him that you don't see until the end of the movie and it's kept a secret of what this thing looks like, but they put it on the poster. And they totally put the demon thing on the cover. (laughs) It's like this is not as a secret as you guys thought it was. But it, yeah, it just does kind of have the Hobgoblins type of ending where Zenobia and Drax shows up and just starts laser blasting the shit out of the, the club. Not really killing anybody, just kind of blowing up tables and blowing up the bar. Get Liz Kaitan as a random waitress running across the camera. And yeah. uh, Specific to state that there's
2: no there's no body count in this movie. It's all, everything, even when things turn violent, it's still very... Playful,
1: (laughs) yeah. It feels with this, even as much nudity as there is in this movie, the violence is very downplayed and and very minimal. Like if if you were to cut out the nudity out of this movie, this movie would be PG thirteen.
2: Yeah, it's very it's a very light, light and silly movie. So yeah, even the sex related stuff, even though some of it might not have aged well, and the idea of the females being kind of like. Mentally um, toyed with. Yeah, to mentally it, manipulated. Related to basically giving giving up uh, the sex. But uh, everything was intended as very harmless and for comedic,
1: fair. So. Yeah, it's, it seems like more playful. There's nothing, uh, with the exception of maybe the bullying from Dirk, there's yeah. really nothing in this movie that's very, um, that feels mean-spirited, if you will. I mean, even
2: even a lot of that is if you look at it this way, a lot of those situations they're instigated by a, by a strong female character, too. So you know, she's yep. she's the one taking advantage of him. So you know,
1: one. yep, very true. Like I said, some of this may not age well, but I I will still. Uh... Uh, stick my neck out there and say this is still a funny fucking movie. It It's still, it's not hilarious, but it is funny. And I love when uh, getting kind of towards the end here when Drax is revealed that he has been taking the, the formula and that he now has one of those like uh, alien witchamahoozits coming out of his head. Mm-hmm. And he had been taking the formula and reveals that he has this, you know, unproclaimed love for uh, Dr. Zenobia, and with him and his tentacle, they go riding off into the sunset to try to uh, repopulate their alien race because that's what they're all there to do, and I love... Things all kind of comes to a head. You know, Wesley still has his mojo. He still has his girlfriend, uh, Leanne. Everything is still kind of gets their sort of gets that kind of happy ending because Wesley ends up getting, was it a, a postcard from Zenobia and Drax saying that they had had uh, how many babies was it? 20? Something. Two dozen or something, <laughs> something crazy like that. They had a litter of babies and they were going to go back to the planet to, to repopulate. So, you know, everything kind of, if for as po- problematic as it is, you know, we still get a sort of uh, a happy kind of ending yeah. to this it's a it's a good happy-go-lucky kind of movie
2: it's got that classic ending where it's like everything sort of wraps up with a little bow on it and then they're like and now this person went on to do this and this person went on to do that and this person did this and marvin became the manager of the poontangs and uh the little brother went on to direct b horror films
1: <laughs> yeah I, I love that part with him and the little super Eight camera <laughs> but-
2: And one funny thing I have to point out too about the ending is, is, you know, for one, she had a a male assistant the entire time. Why didn't she ever just try and use the experiment on him to begin with it? Again, it would negate the existence of the entire film might have been more logical for her to have a female assistant, you know? Yeah, very true he even tries to put a move on her when they're in the car and he tries to put his arm around her and then that's when she just dumps her soda in his lap so she had zero interest in him and until i mean granted he had the 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 almer come out of his head at the end so of course she would show interest because it would probably work the same way on her as it would human females and just make her basically
1: want to bone him so <laughs> but but yeah, I mean without the without an Elmer tentacle, why would you want to have anything to do with them? It's true. I would not want to have relations with Ray,
2: Raymond O'Connor. so
1: <laughs> fine fine actor, just yeah, no <laughs> exactly.
0: uh
1: But poor I was say poor Drax though, although he ended up having himself a nice little family with his uh, Mrs. Zenobia. And I do love the, the the fact that Marvin becomes the uh, the the manager of the Poontang, almost at like the Poontang tribe, but you might as well just say the Poontang Tang tribe. But uh, yeah, everybody gets t- gets ties up in our nice little neat American graffiti style bow, where you get everybody gets sent off in their merely little happy way. But we would not get a sequel to this uh, in any way, shape, or form, unless you want to count uh, the the movies. Now that we've kind of deemed it so. On this show, that they're all in canon, so fuck it. I say this is this is the first movie of the Fumalian series. Yeah, just, the Fumalian cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, why not?
2: To be told, you know what? Like a lot of, you know, as as we know, a lot of Full Moon Universe characters would reappear in comics form, and uh. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alien is one that would later appear in uh Dollman Kills the Full Moon Universe.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Dr. So, Alien even comes back. Well, hot damn, I gotta find me that one of these days. Dollman literally kills the entire full moon
0: universe. So, so
2: and his you know his greatest challenge and you know would be basically facing off against himself as you know jack death so you know but yeah doctor alien was in you know the full moon rogues gallery of you know uh, full moon characters that doll man had to face off against so oh, yeah.
1: didn't just end here so <laughs> just continued on in comic book form which you know as far as i'm concerned that counts Yep, and I've never
2: really heard anything about it specifically. IMDb says that at one time there was a sequel in development called Star Pupil that never went anywhere, which would have been interesting to see. Maybe one day we can still get that. <laughs> you know, if, they, if Full Moon can produce a, you know, a twenty-five years late sequel to something like Necropolis,
1: who's to say that they couldn't do a Doctor
2: Alien too? So.
1: You know, if there's interest in it and there's money to be made, they're certainly going to make it. That's true. I think there is one little bit of trivia that I I have here, and it's the only really real trivia that I know uh, Mm -hmm. for the film before we wrap things up, is that Brad Pitt had originally auditioned for the lead role, but he did not get the job. And I'm sure (laughs) he's probably crying about that to this day.
2: The sad thing is, is I'm sure if you asked Brad Pitt, he probably would not even remember auditioning for this movie.
1: (laughs) And he'd probably or he'd probably be like, yeah, I'd probably audition for it. I don't remember. It was 1989. (laughs) Yep. I'm sure I'm
2: and I'm sure that people like, you know, you know, the brass behind this film were probably like, damn it, we missed the boat here. You know, because they didn't they didn't choose Brad Pitt, you know, similarly, like a, a, a good comparative thing to me is is. When Troma was making the first turn-on, someone who auditioned for one of the female leads was Madonna. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing that story. And they went with someone else. So they could have been the company that debuted Madonna cinematically, but they weren't. They did still get one, though, because in that same film, they were also the debut of Vincent D'Onofrio. So, but um, it's always interesting to find out who didn't get the part
1: more so than who got it <laughs> so yeah they the story behind that kind of thing is just like you know this <laughs> is like what could have been you know what could have been yep so i i i want to see an alternative reality where brad pitt was actually in this movie just to see <laughs> just to see how he would have uh handled the the wesley role and in and- the <laughs>
2: In the multiverse somewhere, it's sitting on a video store rental shelf right next to Sinbad's Shazam. <laughs> Are you saying that
1: movie might have existed <laughs> in a parallel dimension? It did. <laughs> so, in the parallel dimension, uh, I was going to say Shaq's Kazam didn't exist. That's a that's a world I want to live in.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I bet. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that being said, let's wrap this one up. Uh, we've got, I don't know if we have much left to talk about because the end of our movie it was a really short movie. I think it was 86 minutes long, but it's its, it's funny. It it never, it never, it's never boring. I'll say that. Yeah, so let's go ahead. You know how we do things around here. Guess go first uh, and a rating on a scale from one to 10, man.
2: You know, I, you know, I am a huge David Ducato fan love love the man love his work um obviously i love empire i love full moon and this did like we said it kind of came in that weird sort of in betweener (laughs) point uh but this was still early in Dakota's, dakota's directing career you know still doing a lot of them early scream queen movies um my love more lies. In the 90s fairer than necessarily a lot of the late 80s fair, but that's not to say that there wasn't some value in the late 80s stuff because uh, Dr. Alien is definitely, it's a fun movie. It's harmless TNA, you know, sci-fi comedy, uh, which in retrospect, looking back at it, like we discussed, has an incredible cast. I mean, the leads might not all be big names. But uh, like every other side person is practically someone, you know whether it's friggin Eddie Williams is the, the, the gym teacher, or Lenny Rose is like campus security. you know, I have to bring Lenny Rose up again because that guy's everywhere. He's in everything. you know, like there <laughs> so people that are in this friggin movie that it's almost like, Where's Waldo? You know what I mean? It's like some, some, someone new random is going to pop up at some point. And it's a fun movie. I mean, hell, if you blink, you'll miss Troy Donahue in the opening like two minutes <laughs> before they
1: write him out. And he's just gone for the rest of the movie. You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. As a poor old Dr. Ackerman, you know, if you blink in within three minutes of the opening of the movie, you miss him. He's gone. With
0: his, with his
1: very high billing too, for the record. So, Yeah.
2: And, and I mean, Tr- Troy Donahue was mainly primarily known for what playing uh, Merle uh, Talia Shire's boyfriend in like Godfather Two. Yep, yep. So I mean, that's his claim to fame. And then in the in you know the late nine nine or late eighties, early nineties, he just kind of became B movie fodder with stuff like this and Shock 'Em Dead, American Rampage. But you know, he's he's Troy Donahue you know so movie movie has an incredible cast like i said it's super fun it's got some neat early effects by greg canham fun fun soundtrack you know uh my my regular cameraman clint kelly he loves that fucking song killer machine (laughs) so
1: (laughs) it's catchy tune.
2: yeah you know and i you know her her uh, her alien form is unique i find her zigzaggy pink you know neon pink laser beam gun hilarious um uh, it, it's a fun movie, you know. I don't love it, but I think it's super fun. Um and definitely a very amusing film. I f- I find it fun too because it has Judy Landers in it. And I've I've told you before, my my city Judy lives here in in my town. Uh most of the Lander family <laughs> lives in my town. Judy, Audrey, and their mother. Uh, who owns a lot of real estate here locally, uh, all live right here in Sarasota, Florida. You know, and I, I used to see them all at the movie theater, like, every friggin' weekend when I worked at AMC theaters. Oh, nice, nice. A lifetime ago, and they were just the, the sweetest women. They were so nice, very very polite, very mannered. You know, I, I got autographs from both of them. <laughs> So they were both just very nice, very nice women, um, and you know, Judy's daughter, eldest daughter, Lindsay would end up going on to do a movie for Dakota years later when she appeared in Brotherhood Five Alumni, and Judy herself would come back and appear in uh, Christmas Spirit as the voice of a dog.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. oh really?
2: Yeah, that was a a Christmas a family f- film you know, Christmas family film that starred Alexander Paul uh, that had Judy as the voice of a, a dog yeah, uh, narrating the <laughs> film. So, but uh, I, I, you know, she's fun in, in her special appearance lead. Um, like I said, I don't, I, I'm not going to say it's one of my favorite Dakota films. I don't, it's nowhere near one of his, one of his worst movies, though. I think it's, for me, it's a solid seven.
1: Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I do got to agree with a lot of what you said. It's a fun movie. It's, you know, as we've already said, it's not mean spirited at all. Some of it might be a little problematic by today's standards, but I think it's all harmless fun. It, uh, Judy is great in it, like you said, in her, in her uh, special appearance, mm-hmm. it's a starring role. But uh, I love picking out all the people that are in it from Linnea to Ginger Lynn to Michelle Bauer to Karen to, uh, you know, all the different people that are in it. I just feel like a lot of the humor is is kind of wasted on the Wesley character. The, yeah. Billy is just not – he just comes across as sort of flat as the lead. Yeah, And I find him likable, but he's just kind of flat. And I'm coming in a little bit lower than you. I'm coming in at a six. But I could still recommend it because, you know, my my rule is anything lower than a five, I can't recommend. Five and above, I can recommend. So I give it a six. It's it's not the best of the best. It's not the worst. It's just kind of, it, it falls in that fair to midland category for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, like I said, I'm a big Dakota fan. I, I like his work. Uh, and... This is a you know uh, like as you, you said I think I'm a little bit more of a fan of his work in the '90s as opposed to the the '80s with the exception of Creepazoids which I absolutely love. But that being said, I, I think this is a fun romp, no pun intended. <laughs> I, and now I gotta get myself familiar with uh, the the movies uh, so I can see if there's any other connections to old uh, Altarian.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna be a. a- a trip we'll have to take here soon.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, really, uh, Famalians is, la- is the last, uh, you know, big series for the the, the band gang. Yep. Yep. So, got to well, kind of find a way for you to watch them all. <laughs> oh, I'll find a way because where there's a will, there's a way. That's true. That's true. No, oh, but that being said, I know it's pretty late. I know it's not much later. It's past midnight there where you're at, so we'll stick a pin in this one for the evening. So I want to thank you once again, Dustin, for joining me on another Howling at the Full Moon episode. It's always fun. Yeah, not a fun problem. Times, man.
2: Always happy to come on and discuss some even uncredited executive producer Charlie Band content.
1: Yeah, and, and it's really weird. It does kind of fall in that weird midland category because it, although it says Empire, you know that part of the movie was was released through Empire. I found no other connection to that whatsoever. Yeah, like yeah, it's, I mean, it, other than it saying it on IMDb, that's it. Which we all know you can't you know, trust half of what's on IMDb. Kind of on a cinematic island in in and of itself. Well, yeah, because it it says Phantom Productions, Empire Pictures, and Beyond Infinity Films. (laughs) And then it was, oh, and then distributors is everybody from Paramount Home Video, Video Alpha, Colorbox, CIC Video, 88 Films. It's kind of been released a little bit by everybody. Yeah, it's been all over. (laughs) It seems weird. It seems like the bastard child nobody wants to claim, but we'll claim it. We'll claim it as one (laughs) of our own. Altarians alter, have some place they need to live, too, right? <laughs> they do, they do. But that being said, we'll put a pin in this one for the evening. I want to thank you folks for listening in, as always. And this has been Cinema Degenerations Howling at the Full Moon. And we have been reviewing and dissecting Dr. Alien from 1989. And any time a, a strange uh, alien comes up to you wanting to do experiments, on you and they pull out a big hypodermic needle, just say no. Or just say yes.
0: Admit it, you're dying to slipper the beef.